Welcome, Fivers, to another episode of High Five, the podcast, the movie podcast for people who like other stuff, too. On this week's episode, your hosts Q and Jay dive into some of their favorite movies and hopefully talk about some of your favorites, too. Feel free to yell at your speakers when we ignore your favorites, or you could just tweet at us with your choices, like an adult. Now, let's join Q and Jay in the writer's room as they dive in. Fair warning, this podcast may contain spoilers for movies that came out 20 years ago, but at this point, that's really your fault. And now, on with the show. Hey, Jay. Goodbye, Q. What? What are you doing? Why are you doing um, that? It's flip-flop day, man. We're talking movie flops. I'm flip-flopping the flip-flop, flip-flop script. Oh, that, was a, that, was a, that was a fucking flop. High-five high five. me. Should we high-five? High-five! 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 High-five, son! Woo! High-five! Don't let me hang it. All right. <laughs> you threw me for a loop. You flopped the flip on me. I did. I did. We uh, we're talking movie flops today. We are. Uh, it, so I wanted to give us a good flip flop right at the very beginning of the episode. You did. You you flipped. I zagged. You know that's how it always goes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how it always goes. How you doing, Jay? I I'm doing pretty good, Q. I you know I'm looking forward to this episode. You know, for the first time in a long time. We've actually picked a topic <laughs> that is fact-based, so we didn't have to spend a lot of time doing opinions. We just researched the biggest movie flops uh, of all time. I'm going to say, uh, back at the beginning of that statement, you said, uh, I'm really excited for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and just, I was like, to, re- to just <laughs> record? What a dour way to start the episode. I'm really excited for the first time in a long time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's kind of been a it's, it's been one of those weeks. It's like for the first time in a long time I've been able to smile. Life has just been real sad, but now I'm I'm doing okay, I think. Uh, I'm I'm making it. I'm making it. I'm no John Carter of Mars, but I'm hanging in there. Um so speaking of John Carter of Mars and speaking of uh really weird um movies i guess you could say films that doesn't really qualify as a film per se john carter of mars doesn't no it doesn't uh instead i think it just qualifies as a really long commercial for a special effects company uh you know what and not a very good commercial in that oh a terrible one this is one that like doesn't come out during the super bowl instead it comes out like during the puppy bowl (laughs) <laughs> they like disney spent millions of dollars for precious airtime during the puppy bowl i don't know even know how much a commercial like that would cost i'm sure that GoDaddy's really sexual commercials do great during five the puppy bowl. five million doll hairs <laughs> but actual doll hairs like well, they don't yeah. pay in money because it's a puppy bowl well because they need it they weave doll hairs into the into the puppy fur to make right. it look long. It's like puppy extensions, but they use doll hairs. It is. So it's a it currency. Is. I don't know if people know this, but in the dog grooming and dog competing world, doll hair is a currency. That is that is so true. As no one looked f- that up. It's completely true. As um, a matter of fact, High Five has been really on that 
tip for a long time and we actually started a business we did of specifically for dog hair extensions yes now we got it a little backwards and we were providing dog hair extensions for people yeah it just made of dog hair it didn't go as well as we had hoped you know we sunk pretty much the entire profits we made from the first three seasons of this podcast into that into that gamble we did um and i can't say that it paid off the way i wanted it to and i can say the same as every movie on this list today (laughs) that's that's they sunk a lot of money into these endeavors and none of them really paid off quite the way they wanted it to. you know honestly probably some of the problem was the fact that we named it poodle snoodles yeah, that's and I not, don't think I don't think it really connected with people. It doesn't actually. It people got confused. They weren't even sure what the business was. Right. Um. They were like because we'll, we're like snoodles. hey we're poodle snoodles we'll snoodle your poodle doodle doodles right and they were like what what and we're like well you got to come in and check it out and we'll 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 wrap up your hair your first session's free we'll oodle your poodle for the for the first time doodles right and people were like whoa this yeah. is just too too heady for me and you know what that I think was definitely not the concept for any of the films that make this list. No. Nobody ever said, whoa, that movie was just too heady for me. No, They were no, like, no. whoa, that movie was maybe written by a five-year-old. <laughs> were you talking about uh, Monster Trucks? I was talking about Monster specifically Monster Trucks. I think specifically you were. Now, one of the things we're doing, so if, if they haven't figured it out so far, today our topic is the top five financial Hollywood box office flops. Of, all, of time. all time. Now, what's great about this list, as I mentioned it earlier, is we didn't even have to come up with this list because it's fact-based. We were just able to look up what movies lost the most amount of money at the box office, and just we can just talk about those. And since this is a flip-flop episode, Q, I think we should just start with the end. Should we go ahead and give them the list right now? Uh, yeah, I'd say let's list. Let's list. This is where we make a list. The list. List. All right. So now that we're ready to list. So, Q, where did we get this list? Like, where did we find this? So our source for the top five biggest financial failure films of all time comes from our friends at Digital Spy. Love those guys. And so, you know, since this list was fact-based, it allowed us to do little to no research. Which is my favorite. I love that so Uh, much. We basically picked a list of financial failures and decided to go with that. Uh, So if their numbers are wrong, blame Digital Spy and Digital Spy alone. Exactly. Now, most episodes, you guys know that our definitive list is the definitive list. There's no arguing. There's no additions. There's it's what we have is right. But because this isn't our list, if it's wrong, blame Digital Spy, guys. You can let us know. You can blow up Twitter like you normally do. But this ain't our fault. For sure. Not our fault. So should we start with the list? I think so. I think we should just start with number five, work our way through, and then we can sort of talk about them if we've seen them, if we haven't. Perfect. Um, I've seen some of these for sure. Cool. Well, why don't you hit me with number five? All right. So number five, according to Digital Spy, is the movie Mars Needs Moms. Mm. It's that um, it's that uh, Seth Green movie. I think Joan Cusack's in it. But they said yeah, the production budget was $150 million, Holy Lord. And it lost $100 million. Also, holy lord. Holy lord. 
Uh, then we've got number four is Monster Trucks. Which, and, my goodness. I mean, that's just a fart right out of the gate. Let's just be honest. Uh, but that production budget was $125 million. <laughs> Woo! With a loss of $115 million. Ouch. And we can talk about that one because that one was weird because they didn't even seem to think it was going to be a success. I, I feel like that was a tax write-off, but go yeah, ahead. So do I. Uh, so number three is John Carter. Surprise to no one. Yes. Um, I think John Carter is one that everyone knew was going to be on this list. It's a historically famous bomb. Um, but it cost, good Lord, it cost $263 million. <laughs> and it lost $122 million. It lost the production budget of Monster Trucks. For sure. For John Carter. Holy crap, I didn't realize it cost that much to make. Man, Taylor Kitsch, not not great. Not killing it. Uh, and our number two on this list is Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't even know what this is. You don't? No. Oh, man. I, I remember this movie. This was when DreamWorks was kind of like, hey, guys, we're also sort of like Disney. And but I thought... I thought they, both they put it out had, like no. This says 2003. Didn't they all? Hadn't they already done Shrek by then or no? They I, they had done some movies like DreamWorks was established at this point, but this was back when like Disney was doing like Titan AE and oh. you know Treasure Planet, and this was their response. I believe now I have to look up the timing, but I believe okay. this was DreamWorks like response to Treasure Planet. Got it. And uh, so this came out. You know um, what's sad. Uh, so this, the production budget of this doesn't sound too bad, sixty million. No, but no. somehow its production budget was sixty million, but it lost a hundred and twenty-five yeah. million dollars. It lost double its production budget. It almost bankrupted DreamWorks, if I remember correctly. That is uh, amazing. And so, shall we share our number one together? I, I think we, I think we should. Well, at least according to this list. Um. um so the number one, I'm going to say a word and then you say a word. Okay. That's how we're going to do it. You ready? Number one is King Arthur. Legend of the Sword. Directed by Guy Ritchie. With, and starring Charlie Hunam for some S reason. Char starring Charlie Hunan Noodles. Yes. Uh, Charlie with a, with a production budget of $175 million and a loss of, hit it. $150 million. <laughs> that Ouch. Is, that is a loss of more than twice of the production budget of Sinbad Legend of the Seven Seas. Uh, amazing. Amazing. Now, I will have to say, as a slight segue off topic, but kind of on topic, I recently saw... Another King Arthur related. Movie. I okay. I was so glad because I remember you texted me a handful of days ago and said, "Hey, Jay, I've got an option for a movie tonight. I can either and you listed out a handful of movies that you wanted to see. I had said you should see either Severance, that wackadoodle Matthew McConaughey. No, 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 Anne Serenity, Hathaway. Serenity. That's yep. right. Um, that wackadoodle one or the boy who would be king. Yes, which is the follow up movie to Joe the Cornish. We really like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, I really, really like attack the block. You really like oh, attack we the talked block. about it on last week's episode. It's like one of my favorite sci-fi flicks in the past uh, decade. Easily. Well, I mean, we even shared that article on our social about how it's so good at building character. Like it's a movie. 
Like it's a silly premise, but it's a movie. It launched John Boyega's career. Sure did. Um, it's it's just a really really well done movie. It is definitely not a kids movie. No. Um, it definitely involves aliens like ripping people's noses off and shit sure like does. that. But it's it's it deals with a group of kids fighting an alien invasion. Right. So when I heard that now. Joe Cornish hasn't made a movie since Attack the Block in 2011. Which is surprising. I mean, as as well as that was received. Now, that's not to say that he wasn't offered movies. Uh, he was actually offered Star Trek Beyond. Really? Yep. He was offered Star Trek Beyond before, um, what's his name? The guy that did, um, the guy that did, I think it's like Step Up. Took oh, over okay. and directed it. Sure. Um, or um, G.I. Joe 2. Oh. Ugh. So that director ended up making Star Trek Beyond. But Joe Cornish was offered it. And he dec- he declined it because what he said in interviews was, I just didn't feel like I was ready for that scope of a movie. Sure. He said, I wasn't ready to take on a giant franchise and a big with a big blockbuster budget. He said, I had lots of friends who were indie directors like me who had immediately jumped from their indie movie to a big-budget Hollywood flick. And then he said, I'm not going to mention any names. Colin Trevorrow. I was about to say, uh, but, and then that they failed miserably, and they had a huge backlash. Um, and he said he just didn't feel creatively ready for that. He, if he was going to do a big-budget tentpole movie, he would want it to be his, his movie, his property. Um, so he went radio silent for several years. And the reason I'm giving this such big buildup is because this is the buildup I had for this movie. Right. You waited for Joe Cornish. You wanted him to do the property he was excited about and it's, he did it. And he did it. He wrote and directed the boy who would be king. Oh, so I didn't, I didn't think I realized he wrote it. Yeah. He wrote it and directed it. So this is it totally feels like it would be. It him. feels like it would be based on like a book, kind of like wrinkle in time. Sure, it does, and it and honestly, the the movie kind of feels like that. It feels yeah. like a pastiche of a bunch of a bunch of other stories, kind of like sure. mushed together. But here's the problem: it's just not good. Oh, I uh, heard people say that it kind of was good. It's but not- fine. It is boring. Oh, that's not fine. It is long. It's like uh, two hours long. Everything nowadays is two or over, it seems. Um, and this story does not warrant a two-hour runtime. Really? Like, there were huge scenes. Like, there were uh, Lord of the Rings-level scenes of walking. Like, just lots of walking from one place to another place. Oh. Um, so, and, oh, God, this is going to pain me to say this. It also, to be perfectly honest, I don't think was well directed. Oh, really? Like, just it kind of concerns me that maybe Joe Cornet, maybe Attack the Block was like a like a one off. Maybe he just based it on John Boyega, and John Boyega was able to pull it off. Maybe. Um, the mo- Okay, here's some things that bother me. One, uh, it involves it has Patrick Stewart as right. an old version of Merlin, okay. which is clever. Um, and he constantly switches, and I don't know if this was a like choice on the part of Joe Cornish, or if this was just, I don't know, but it really bugged the hell out of me, and you'll understand why. Y- 
Merlin inhabits two bodies in this movie: a young version of himself and the Patrick Stewart version of himself. Okay, and but he it's can like his spirit is the same spirit. N- yeah, it's the same person. He can okay. just like transform between looking like a kid and looking like an adult. Ah. And when he does, he stays like in the same clothes and everything. He's just like suddenly old Merlin in the clothes that the other guy was wearing, except okay. the clothes are similar, but not the same. What? Exactly. Why would they do that? I don't know. And it <laughs> bugged me through the entire movie. So at one point for the for the whole movie, Merlin wears a like long coat, uh short pants with rain blue rain boots, rain galoshes, like some bright yellow rain sure. galoshes. Sure. And a I think it's Metallica t shirt. Or it's so, it's a it's a rock band T-shirt. I have seen the 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 trailers. I I did think I was it Merlin supposed to be like a smarmy teenager kid who's kind, a little bit older than kind the of, main kid. Kind of, except they're the same person. Like oh. uh, he is old Merlin. He traveled and he they have like this weird throwaway line that Merlin ages backwards like Benjamin Button. So the older oh. he gets, the younger he looks. Okay, sure. Right, it was weird. A weird choice. But that's not what bothered me. Not any weirder than Merlin being given his powers by a Transformer. Right. By the when way. He, when he would change in the same scene from old Merlin to young Merlin and be wearing the same but slightly different clothes. The t-shirt was a slightly different color. And the galoshes went from yellow to gray. Why? So, I don't know. So, my question was, okay, maybe old him is supposed to look more washed out, like his clothes age as well. But that wouldn't change the boots from yellow to gray. No. So, then it just bugged me. Then I was like, is this just a fucking continuity error? Like, did they do all of Patrick Stewart's shots in one day with this Uh. one costume? And then... Whoever was doing continuity on the movie just didn't pay attention that it didn't quite match. The and if kid? it's not if it's not that, then this is a kids movie that you as an adult can't decipher, and that's a problem in itself. Exactly. So that was problem number one. Uh, problem number two is none of the kids in this movie have the same gravitas as the cast of Attack the Block. Really? So they were all they f- all felt out felt like they all felt out they all (laughs) felt like very fleshed out characters even though some of them only got like minimal screen time in attack the block wouldn't you agree they all felt like real care real kids these feel like one note tropes bully kid friend bully female bully kid sad best friend like they they were super duper duper tropey like Almost grossly so. What's that movie? Okay, so there was recently like a YA movie that was adapted, and it was um like kids that were Greek gods or whatever. Percy Jackson? Percy Jackson, thank you. Is it kind of like that? I had some of those same problems with Percy Jackson, is that there were everything was so one note. Um, they were trying to make this kid's movie, but it, it just they couldn't really grasp what they were supposed to be making. Is it, did it have kind of a feel of that, or was it at least it, better than some of those? No, it felt movies? like he knew what he was doing. Like, he, these were choices. Like, no. 
he you could tell he created this world and he thought this world was amazing. Do we know how that movie is done in box office? Is it a flop? Does it um, fall on our list? It came out on Friday, so I don't I don't know. No. But here's the kicker of it though. Okay. The lead kid is great. Oh really? You, okay. Do you know who he is? No. Well, he, I probably do after you tell me, but not. Off yeah. The top here's of my head. his name. Are you ready? Uh huh. Lewis Ashborn Circus. Is he, he is Andy Circus? Andy Circus's son. What? Yes. Nice. And he's great. Yeah. Like I really thought he was great. I don't know that he can carry a whole movie by himself, but mm. he was great. But here's the thing. Everything in this movie is crazy anticlimactic. Oh, really? That's the worst. Like, 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 I will, I'm going to compare this child's movie to almost orgasming, but not quite. What? Yeah. Like, this whole movie is just a series of edging. <laughs> it's like King Arthur and the Blue Balls. Yes, like In the blue balls of the round table. There is this scene that is going to be this huge fight with Morgana, this uh -huh. evil queen. It's over in legitimately like three minutes, and the majority of her death happens like in the background off screen. So it's basically the entire movie is the scene in Indiana Jones when he shoots the guy with the whip. Yes. Or he shoots the guy with the swords. Yes. That's the and whole then movie. The very, very end. With the real battle, because they psych you out, it's very Lord of the Rings. I feel like he watched Lord sure. of the Rings and was like, I can do this. I got this. Is also crazy anticlimactic. It's very, it's just, I don't know. The whole thing felt like, after I was done, I was like, I feel like this was a well-directed, direct-to-Disney Channel movie. Man, it sounds like you should have seen that Matthew McConaughey movie. I know. I should have. I led you in the wrong direction, it sounds no, it's like. No, it's not your fault. I really wanted to like this movie. It will probably go down in history as being like a fine movie. I think it's got like an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Right now it does. But it's not good. It's just not good. That's a bummer. Well, um, I can segue from that into something that I watched that is good. Sure. It is not going to be a flop. Please tell me. I saw Widows finally. Oh, yes. I saw that movie. Tell I, me what you thought. I loved it. Let mm -hmm. me just put that out there. I thought it was real good. Do you agree now with my take on our boy Daniel Kaluuya? Oh, my goodness. He was incredible. Is he well, not awesome? I think, I, and not to ruin anything. Uh, you know what? Who cares? People should see this movie. The scene when he made the dude rap for him. Yes. Was one of the you do you talk about like how things are anticlimactic in the boy who would be king? That one scene was the whole climax of that movie almost. And almost every scene had some sort of climactic element to it like that. In I Widows agree wholeheartedly. I like there are some twists that happen that even though they didn't shock me to my core, I was kinda like, Oh, okay. I see what you're doing, movie. Um, but man, that one scene where Kalua makes the dude rap for him, and then just the abruptness of the end of that scene. For sure. I expected it to happen, and it still caught me off guard. For sure. But the cast in that movie oh, is man. so fantastic. Dude, the guy, and the thing. Okay, let me. I'll I'll, I'll explain one of the, one of the elements that I love so much about it. Um, one of the things that I thought was so smart is. So Daniel Kaluuya's character is the younger brother of the guy who's running for like uh, not commissioner, but uh, what what's that position? It's like, like 
Ant- city, city. Oh, Alderman. Alderman. Okay. Yeah. So the older brother who's running for Alderman, the guy played by the dude from Atlanta, who's yep. Paperboy, who's awesome in this. Usually they would have a dynamic between those two characters where one of them is trying to be good and one of them is the dangerous That's criminal. Bri- Brian Tyree Henry is that actor. I name. love him. I love Brian Tyree Henry as an actor. But in this movie, he's just as scary as Daniel Kaluuya. Dude. The scene with him, the scene with him and Viola Davis in her apartment is masterclass acting For on both of their parts. Sure, when he's holding that dog, yeah. I didn't know what the hell was. Dude, gonna happen. I'm gonna say that whole scene. I was waiting for him to do something horrible to that dog. I, it literally had me like in an anxiety yeah. attack. Like, I was having John Wick flashbacks. The tension level, and then for him to just like do nothing. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Made it that much worse. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, God, he's going to, like, snap this dog's neck. He's going to, yeah. like, throw it across the room. He's going to, like, stomp on it. He's going to do something what terrible. what was going to happen. I was so scared. Yeah. But it was so good. The thing about it, though, is, like, it's a great heist movie. I share – I've been excited about Widows for a while, mainly – and I'll tell you this – mainly because, in my mind, the premise is so unique. Nowadays, it feels like it's such a stretch to get a unique story. You know, everything's like a superhero movie or kind of a cut and paste adaptation of something or things that are tried and true and tested. For sure. This movie, this story felt so unique on, all right, there is this group of criminals who all die during a heist and now their widows are being held accountable for the loss. Sure. That's such a unique thing. Now, can I tell you about one of my favorite actresses from this movie who I have now seen twice in two fantastic movies, both in the same year, and I think is purged to be a massive breakout star. I I think I know who you're going to say because we even mentioned him uh, or mentioned her on Facebook when we were talking with Steven when he was bringing up last week's episode of like the fresh faces. He I think he said we we missed this person. Cynthia Erivo. Oh, okay, no, that's not who I was talking about. Um, but yes, she was awesome. She as Belle. Yeah. In this movie, the kind of like scrappy babysitter. Yes. She is also in Bad Times at the El Royale. She is the main, she's one of the main characters. Is in she that the movie. singer girl? Yes. She looks so different. Yes. I didn't even realize it was her. Yes. And she's doing like a southern accent in, yeah. in Bad Times at the El Royale. She's great in that. She's she great in both of these. Is amazing like she is magnetic and i genuinely 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 feel that she is going to be a massive star i yeah no no i i agree at first and she can sing like a motherfucker she does it man she in she does it in bad times the el royale she's on the soundtrack she also did a series of like live performances as promotion for that movie and she is amazing. She she was awesome. Now, I I for the longest time when I was watching these trailers, I thought she was the girl from Insecure, that HBO show. No. Um, but it's not. But she no, now knowing that she's the girl from El Royale, that I'm even more impressed. I thought you were going to say um Elizabeth Debicki. Oh yeah, because she was awesome in Widows. She was great. I agree uh, 100%. She's not great in the Cloverfield Paradox because nothing's nope. great about the Cloverfield Paradox. Nope. But she was really, really good in this, I thought, just the way her character, I don't know, kind of grew, accepted her situation, became like really scrappy and 
you know, kind of the give me the ball right. type of character. And the main reason she wasn't, I know you were saying that she, you know, we'd had some some suggestion that we missed her. I don't feel like she's done enough. She hasn't delivered too many great performances for me. She's fantastic in Widow, but like she was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, minutely. Exactly. She was in The Great Gatsby, which wasn't a great movie. Yeah. She was in The Man from Uncle, which right, nobody which saw. I didn't. Um, so it's kind of one of those things where, like, yes, this single performance was amazing. Yeah. But Let's does see where it? She goes right, but does it lend itself for her to be like, oh shit, she is like up and coming? No. I'll I'll be honest. I kind of blend her and Mackenzie Davis in my mind a lot. I get that. Like it's like tall, a Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton yeah, the situation. Tall, scrappy, thin, blonde, white yeah. chick. I totally get that. Like, I, I kind of blend those a lot. But, yeah, man, I am so glad that you kept pushing me to watch Widows. It was so good. You know, I don't know what, you know, how it'll stand the test of time, but I can say as a heist movie with some fun twists and some right. no-holds-barred intensity, it was it was. And I will good. say, in the hands of another director, it could have been just a very generic oh, heist yeah. movie. It could have been. But I really think Steve McQueen elevated that movie because i mean you're t we're talking we're talking the same guy who did hunger and 12 years of exactly like, like this guy knows character drama well the thing about the thing that i like about uh steve mcqueen before we get back to our like episode topic but this is more fun the thing i like about steve mcqueen is that he is he understands fundamentally just what you said character drama but he always uh, explores genre because like with hunger it was a single person story you know biopic sure 12 years a slave was a period piece this one is a heist movie sure but he still always has that undercurrent of i know how to get actors to act and i know how to tell a character driven story and i love that he does that in different genres it's I almost like coen brothers but not as whimsical Totally. I 100% agreed. So oh. <clears throat> I would say that that's a pretty good segue to talk about our movies because we're yeah. going from I talked about a movie that was shitty. You talked a about a movie that was amazing. And now we're going to talk to about a movies that people thought were going to be amazing, but turned out super shitty. Yeah. Well, and the thing about it is even with some of these like, OK, let's I'll just start with the number one that they said here, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. That apparently was the biggest financial bust, um, bust of Ever. all time, <laughs> according to the internet. Um, is that this is another one? I like Guy Ritchie movies. Sure, for the most part, you know, not all of them, but I did mean, you like the Sherlock flicks? I did. I did too. I, I like those I, a lot. I thought. I mean, they're not the best. I like the Sherlock show better, sure. but I thought the movies were fun. I thought the characters matched what they were supposed to be. You know, I like Guy Ritchie's early work that's like the really quick, fast-paced, like, you know, Like British Snatch crime. and yes. uh, Lock, um, Stock, and Two Lock, Smoking Barrels. Lock, Stock is the one that I always associate with him first, but I love Snatch. I love that, like, the quick dialogue. I love the British crime that he kind of – history that he's kind of built. So to have him direct movies, big movies – I'm usually fine with, you know, we've got Jude Law in there. Oh, shit. Got... Did you know that he directed The Man from Uncle? I did. Speaking of, I did, I did not know that. I did know that because that was another one of those where I was kind of like, oh, what's the like Guy Ritchie's had two real big busts for me recently. And it was Man from Uncle and this King Arthur movie. So 
I don't know how I feel about him going forward, but man, I used to like him a whole lot. Um, did you see this King Arthur movie, by the way? I did not. Okay. We did. Here's, tell, so tell me about it. Here's what I can tell you about it. Okay. Nothing. I remember nothing about this I was about movie. to ask, so what is it about? I don't know. The King Arthur? It is, it's sort of like one of those... This isn't your grandpa's King Arthur story. Didn't they have like a like a modern rock and roll soundtrack? They and had shit a modern rock and roll soundtrack. They were like giant. Like what was that? War elephants or something. What was that movie? It? A Knight's Tale that did yes, that. That was with, like uh, medieval. Yeah, with like a current rock and roll sound, like a classic rock soundtrack. Yes. No, this one, I can't even begin to explain. Like, it was so forgettable. Everything about it was forgettable. Jude Law's in it, right? He's the bad guy. Interesting. It's just, like, I know I've seen it. I sat and watched it for like two and a half <laughs> You're hours. Like, I know I saw it. And if I watched it again, I'd be able to be like, oh, I remember this. But I cannot think back. And this was in the past year that I've watched it, and I couldn't tell you a thing about it. Ooh, it he actually worked on the screenplay. Believably forgettable. Of this movie as well, Guy Ritchie did. Oh, yeah. And the thing about it is, like, I think they wanted it to start a franchise. And so, you know, they they put all this money behind it. I I don't know. It was just the most forgettable thing I think I've ever seen. Like, that one and um, The Immortals was like that. Do you remember The Immortals? It was kind of like a 300 ripoff. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. It's it's a thing. It's like a 300 ripoff, I'm and it's real bad. Um but it's also oh, very with Henry Cavill. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah I do kind of remember that now. It was basically like, hey, what if three hundred was even shittier than normal? Oh, like that's, that's sad because that was directed by Tarsum Singh, and he is a visionary as far as like his visual palette goes. Well, that's why I wanted to see it because it looked like I was like, oh, well, if Tarsum is going to be doing a three hundred style like Greek gods movie, let's do this. Yeah, because I'll be honest, I really liked the fall. is brilliant. The fall didn't he do cell? Yep, he did the I cell. Love cell. He did mirror mirror, which was a great Snow White adaptation. Very underrated because well, that one came out in the same year that that Snow White and the Huntsman came out. Totally, and it was that so, dueling Snow White movie. It was one of those deep impact Armageddon type situations where they both came out in the same year and everyone had to pick sides. It was like, but when nobody I was, did, and they both just kind of went right. Well, no, the thing was, everybody picked um, Snow White and the Huntsman, and then all that stuff about Kristen Stewart and, and the director. Pattinson, and the director came out, and I was like, ooh, I won't have anything to do with this because it ruins my Twilight fantasy, and then both of them bombed. Exactly, exactly. Um, but Guy Ritchie, I mean, let's talk about the effect that a flop can have on a director. Oh, my because, goodness. But here's the fact that blow, normally you would say a massive failure – can result in a director basically not working anymore. It can. Um, but in this case, <laughs> Guy Ritchie went from what this website is telling us is the biggest box office failure in history to Aladdin for Disney. <laughs> right. So I am a little perplexed by his uh, his or them making that choice and hiring him as a director. Yeah. For another period piece. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm I'm real nervous about it. I'm not gonna. I'm just I'm just focused on the Lion King and Dumbo. Like maybe sure. these maybe these will be good. Well, no, that, yeah, I can't even say that. I'm gonna be honest. Tim Burton has really shit the bed for me in the past couple of years. Yeah. So I have zero expectations that Dumbo is gonna be a good movie. I just keep hoping it's like Big Fish. I really like Big Fish, man. Yeah. I'll tell Big you what. So one good. of his other movies that kind of grew on me after some rewatching, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney the first fun. first time I saw it, I hated it. I thought it was terrible. Oh, really? And then I went back and watched it again a couple years later, and I was like, you know what? I actually don't mind this movie. It kind of took some time to grow on me. I did that with Dark Shadows. I have not watched Dark Shadows since I walked out on it in the theater. See, the first time I saw Dark Shadows, I hated every second of it. I didn't get it. I, I wasn't on board with it. But I've seen it like on TV every now and then, and it like it's popped up. And the more I see it, I'm like, Okay, I kind of actually, it's not as bad as, it's not good. Sure. Not as bad as Let's I clarify, it is not a good movie. No, 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 no. But it's Tim not. Has had has had some stinkers. Right. Um. But, but Guy Ritchie, I mean, let's talk about, so this movie, from a box office standpoint, should have been okay. I'm, Guy Guy Ritchie is not a terrible director. No. Uh, Charlie Hunnam was still riding his uh, Sons of Anarchy fame and had mm-hmm. recently done Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim, yeah, uh, and um, uh, that other the got the horror movie that he did with Mia Wasikowska. Oh, wait, he was in that? Yeah, he played like her like love her love interest aside from Tom Hiddleston. Oh, the one when he like with the old Victorian house. Yes, that one. Okay, I'd forgotten. Crimson that. Peak. Crimson That's Peak. It. Crimson so he Tide had, Peak. He had done some like relatively well received movies, and he'd only been mistaken for Garrett Hedlund at least thirteen times. Exactly, but uh, Pacific Rim had not been well received, but it made a butt ton of money. It did. No, it definitely wasn't a flop. It's like it's not on this list by any stretch of the imagination. For sure. So that piece of the puzzle makes sense. It is a a time-honored story. He's telling sure. the King Arthur, the legend of King Arthur, which is very, you know, people respond to that. There's been many movies made, medieval I mean, what, movies. Ridley Scott did one, like, less than a decade ago. Yeah. Wait, no, no, was that? No, yeah, he did one. Wait, who did the one, Robin Hood, and then who did Arthur? There was a King Arthur one, and there was a Robin Hood one that were both very similar. Uh, Arthur was the one with Clive Owen. That's right. Okay, yeah. Uh, and that one was not great. No, it wasn't. But that was also the one that was like trying to get like the ladies in there. It was making totally like, the, like, that had like Kiera Knightley and stuff in yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, but even with this one, with this new one, we've got Jude Law and Eric Bana in there. They're That's both, what I'm saying. They're both draws. It's populated by a cast that isn't terrible. So, I don't know. Part of me, it's kind of like confounding why this movie didn't work, and as being as someone who hasn't seen it, I can't speak from sure, like... Sure, sure. Well, this is why. But I will say that not a single one of the trailers that I saw for this movie got me excited in any way for the movie. Well, and I can... I'll dive into that a little bit. I really think, you know, like I said, it being forgettable. I can't tell you story beats. I can't tell you, like, who acted well and who didn't because I don't think anybody really did. But what I can tell you about it is that Guy Ritchie has a tone. To his movies. For it's sure. It's usually the quick, snappy, sarcastic, you know, quick-thinking mindset. That tone does not work well for a Renaissance period piece. 
And so a lot of a lot of what's happening in this movie is just conflicting narratives and conflicting tones, which makes the whole thing sort of wash out in your brain. Ooh, because that it totally just makes sense. Doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Like at the end of it, you're kind of like, I just saw a whole bunch of pieces of a whole bunch of stuff, but I don't really know what I saw. It's sort of. Did you ever see Dracula Untold? Yeah. Uh, yes. The, yeah, this yeah, isn't yeah. your mama's Dracula. Yep. 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 Do that was rem- actually the first launch, supposedly, of the Dark Universe. Yeah. Quote unquote. The I'm soft. Using, the soft launch. I'm using uber air quotes for that. <laughs> um, like I'm bringing someone else to my house to do more air quotes because of how <laughs> soft that is. But yes. But it's like that movie. Like think back to Dracula Untold. What can you tell me about that story? Nothing. Nothing. But you saw it. Yes. You sat for two hours and twelve minutes and you watched it. Yes. And I know that there were a lot of bats at the end. Yes. That's all I can tell you about that movie. And Luke Goss. Was that who? Or Luke, um, Luke something. It was the dude from Lord of the Rings. Luke Evans. Luke Evans. That's it. From he was, he was eventually, uh, um, and is he Gaston? He's Gaston. He's great, actually, as Gaston in the new. I actually like him. Yeah. He's a good, he's a good actor. I really like Luke Evans. He was in, um, did you see, uh, High Rise? I haven't yet. Wait, the Ben the Wheatley sh- movie? I haven't, but I want to. It's pretty good. He's in I've that movie, heard, too. I've heard good things about it. See, Ben Wheatley's a guy. He hasn't had a flop yet. I'm still excited about him. But he has stuck to His, small mm-hmm. movies. He, he stuck what, to what he wanted. Okay. I That is a great actual transition because another one of these on this list and another notorious flop is John Carter. Yes. Directed by, do you know the guy's name? Brad Bird. No, Andrew Stanton. Oh! He is so similar to Brad Bird because Andrew Stanton's filmography is A Bug's Life, Finding Nemo, Wally, Finding Dory, and John Carter. Guess which one of these doesn't fit? Uh, John Carter? <laughs> yeah. Guess which one flopped immensely? Uh, John Carter. Exactly. So, so wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. So... This dude directed all of the... Those are, like, fantastic movies. Yeah, he co-directed Bug's Life. He directed Finding Nemo. He directed Wally, And he directed Finding Dory. And in the in between Wally and Finding Dory, he did John Carter. How? What? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I'm talking about, is that, he, like, with Guy Ritchie, he made a movie about King Arthur that didn't fit his tone, but because he had history, because he had a backstory... And because the studio put so much faith in it, it was a huge bomb because it just wasn't right. And Andrew Stanton's the same way. He had had a history with Disney, so Disney was like, hey, let's launch this John Carter thing. We've got, you know, we've got Star Wars and all these other things to kind of build off this repertoire of aliens and Mars and other planets and big battles. And, like, let's give it to the Pixar guy. Weird. I'm, like, looking at the cast right now. Brian Cranston is in this movie. John Carter of Mars. Yeah, Mark, that's the thing. Mark this is another Strong, one. Willem Dafoe. Yeah, Thomas Hayden Church is Dominic in it. West. Siren Pure- Hines. J- James Purefoy's in it. This is like a good cast. Yeah. I have know. you seen this movie too? I have seen this movie. Is this also a forgettable movie? Is that the problem here? This is this is one of the movies. Okay. You know, you know why things. You know why people don't like the the David Lynch version of Dune. Yes, like it's like it's too crazy. 
it takes all of this universe that had been built up in the novels and sort of skips a lot of backstory. It takes a lot in. of liberties. That's what's wrong with John Carter is that John Carter actually is based off, you know, some sort of existing property. Yeah, it's and called like a, for like the Prince of Mars or something trilogy something like or that. something. Yeah, I remember that. Well, it's kind of doing the same thing. Another good example, which I guess uh, we can talk about, but the Iceman. You know that Val Kilmer movie? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That well, – I say Val Kilmer movie, but you know what I mean. Um, like that movie, I don't know why that one was ever made because it's the sixth novel in a series. Yeah. So you you just get rid of all of this backstory, all of this context. Oh, we're t- you're talking about uh, the – was it the – it was like the snowman. The, the snowman or whatever. Yeah. You it was the one – it was the one – yeah. The, uh, the, the guy who directed uh, – the girl with the dragon tattoo directed yeah. this movie. Yeah. Um, yes, but I know what you're talking about. So, and that one was horrible for the same type of reasons. John Carter or John Carter of Mars, as it was originally called takes, it just tries to get to the good bits and they don't realize that the, the good stories happen in between those good bits. They're like, Hey, let's get him to a big palace fight. Like in, you know, star, star Wars episode two. Sure. Like, let's get to that like really creamy candy, you know, that people want. But ev- nothing else about the movie makes sense. It just kind of jumps from thing to thing to thing. And to be quite frank, I really like Taylor Kitsch. I think he's a good actor. I, I loved him in Friday Night Lights, but he cannot carry a movie, in my opinion. Sure. It has to be something like uh, what was it, The Savages that he was in? Yeah. Where it's like him and another guy, and then a couple other people that are. Like the main characters. Now, I will say that since he's done these, I do remember hearing a lot of buzz about that Waco miniseries that he did where he played David Koresh. And I heard that he was fucking awesome in that. I hear that as well. But also, it's not him carrying that. There's a lot of other... That's like a a, a miniseries that's based on a big cast. You're right. Oh, he was in the second season of True Detective, which Which, was also... Yep. Like I'm saying, he was in a Battleship. Ugh. Like I'm saying, he can't carry a movie. He can be in a movie and he is good. Oh, I like, forgot that he was Gambit in the in that shitty X-Men Wolverine Origins movie. More more to my point. It's he he can act when he's given the right part. Like Friday Night Lights proves that to me. He sure. can act. He can make me feel emotion. Sure. But if he's if they're trying to anchor a movie around him, it does not work. I will say that I always thought of John Carter of Mars the same way that I thought of the... Do you remember that Prince of Persia movie that came oh, out with Jake Gyllenhaal? With Jake Gyllenhaal. That's another one that I know I have seen, but I couldn't tell you for a second what happens in it. Exactly. Which is weird because, once again, directed by Mike Newell, mm-hmm. who is a very well-known, very well-respected director, starring... Ben Kingsley and Jake Gyllenhaal should be good based on a property of very popular video games. Right. Should be good. But for some reason was not, (laughs) was just terrible and forgettable. Well, and I think, okay, this is one of the things that I've noticed recently and and let's go down this path just a little bit because, and I want to pull out two Stephen King properties, if you don't mind, because I know I like to do that. But, like, let's compare the differences between The Dark Tower and Gerald's Game. Sure. I think what's happening nowadays is people and studios primarily are truly realizing that for a vision to be encapsulated, 
the director has to be unbelievably passionate about it. Sure. Has to have a connection to it, or they just have to be the best director, like, ever. You know, so Guy Ritchie, who's stepping out of his comfort zone to do a King Arthur biopic, not really what he should be doing. You know, Andrew Stanton stepping back out of Pixar and doing this sci-fi epic battle, it's not really what he should be doing. Um, You know, Akiva Goldsman writing or adapting The Dark Tower, a book series he's never read and has no passion about, is terrible. But on the flip side, you've got a guy who loves Gerald's game, who's wanted to make Gerald's game for years, who made Oculus and all these things to get to making a Gerald's game. Gerald's game is awesome. That's fair. And so... You know, you got uh, you have a lot of these directors who are given these properties that may not be their properties, and if a studio is just going to give them a lot of money behind it, of course they're going to take it. But the movies that then result from that are nowhere near as good of if they had had a, a personal connection to that source material. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I totally agree with that. So then let's talk about to to continue on the train of adapted materials. uh, Let's talk about the number two one because we kind of leaped over that one. Sinbad, Legends of the Seven Seas. Um, So this was a hand-drawn animation movie. It was, but it had it was that mixture though, wasn't it? I think yeah, they had like some CG scenes, right? Um. Starring Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. Joseph Fiennes, mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer, uh huh, Catherine like, Zeta-Jones. Like DreamWorks really wanted this to work, like, like super bad. The cast is massive. Um, so ultimately, Although, what I will say is this is again, this is kind of. This director, like, uh, I know it was directed by a handful of people, but the guy, I think the main director of this movie is a guy named Tim Johnson of the Sinbad and the Seven Seas. Uh-huh. And he's like a DreamWorks guy, but here's his DreamWorks filmography. Ants, Sinbad, Over the Hedge, and Home. Ooh, all so bad n- movies. <laughs> none of the big tentpole. It's like not the Madagascars, not the, uh, you know, not the Shreks. Not the big ones that DreamWorks has done like really well with, like How to Train Your Dragon. This is the guy that gets relegated to the things like, ah, we don't really think this is going to be great. So you take, take this. But I think what happened with that was Sinbad was the one that caused that. Because all of these movies, like Ants, Sinbad, Over the Hedge, Home, have amazing voice casts. Sure. You know, like Over the Hedge is, you know, Bruce Willis and Gary Shandling and just all of these people, Thomas Hayden Church, I think. Um, it's just all these great actors. And then that movie just couldn't sustain that story. I mean, it's no, it's a fine movie. I think out of all those, it's probably my favorite. But Ants, you've got, you know, Woody Allen and Sylvester Stallone and just all of these great voice actors. And it just doesn't, they don't work. And I, I truly am to the point where I almost blame this director. Because of it. Sure. No, I totally, I can get on board with that. So this one is a little harder to dissect because it is an animated movie. Yes. Um, so, but I would imagine, you know, the studio is hoping for this, these, you know, another Shrek, another series yes. to launch some sort of series. 
Um, but this movie just kind of came and went. And nobody gave a shit. I mean, and that's the thing is, again, you have good actors. you got Catherine Zeta-Jones, Dennis Haysbert, you know, Brad Pitt, Michelle Pfeiffer, Joseph Fiennes. Like, people we know can carry a story. People we know can open a movie. But, and thinking back on it, when this came out, when this came out, like early 2000s, early aughts, I think? Like yes. Right around when I was... Yeah, 2003. The, okay, early college years, basically, is... I don't even remember this movie being advertised very much. I know I saw it, but it wasn't in the theater. Sure. I just remember hearing about this Sinbad movie after the fact almost. And then just not care. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, it kind of fell into that realm of me with like Titan AE and Treasure Planet. Kind of back when Disney and DreamWorks hadn't figured out what they were going to do with the CG world. They are like, all right, Pixar's doing its thing, but we're going to leave that alone. We're going to be something else. And I don't think that we're going to be something else really panned out. Sure. Now, speaking of now, that's a movie that, you know, by once again, we've so far we've talked about movies that by concept, by actor pedigree and by director pedigree have had everything going for them. So they just ended up for some reason, whether it be a misstep on the script, whether it be bad timing of the movie, have all just kind of failed to live up to what they potentially could be. Right. Now let's talk about a movie that from its conception seems like a terrible fucking idea. You're talking and about that, Monster Trucks. I am totally talking about Monster Trucks. Did you ever see Monster Trucks? No. Okay, neither did I. Okay. I, I this is inexplicable to me. I have actively stayed away from Monster Trucks. I I don't know what this where this movie came from, why this movie got made. Was it one that got shelved? Like how did it lose this much money? And it, they didn't even care about it. Like, I don't even remember seeing advertisements for Monster Trucks. You told me about it, and I didn't believe you when you told me what the premise was. Yeah. It's literally somebody was like, Monster Trucks, that's a property that people would watch. And so, of course, let's set a movie in the world of racing monster trucks. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about at all. What if trucks Were had monsters. monsters in them? What the fuck are you talking about? Is exactly what I would say to whatever shitty PA came up with that idea and was like, no, 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 I just got this idea. Like, what if a monster lived inside the truck and is ultimately what, like, drove the truck, right? And then you got, like, the military trying to get it. Oh, 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 and let's put, uh, let's put that kid who plays the new fucking MacGyver in it. <laughs> the Lucas, what's his face? Lucas Till? Yeah. The only person – so the th the other thing about this movie, actually, I'm looking it up right now, is you've got a lot of side characters. I mean, you've got your Thomas Lennons. You've got Barry Pepper, <laughs> Rob Lowe, Danny Glover, all yeah. in this movie somehow. Right. Like, again, that's a lot of name power to have not promoted this movie or cared about it at all. Well, I wouldn't say that that's a lot of name power. I mean, Danny Glover hasn't really been a name for a while. I, know, I think he was in – that badass two movie with Danny <laughs> Trejo about Probably. the old men that beat up people. But I mean, come on, like Rob Lowe. Sure. He's a big name. <laughs> Is he? I think so. Maybe not for everybody. No, but not so. so much anymore. I don't think maybe in the Tommy boy era days. True. I mean, like I said, these are names that mean something to me. Like Thomas Lennon, obviously from Reno. Yeah. I mean, they're names that I understand and can read. Yeah. Amy sure. Ryan from The Office and, yeah. and other other properties. But Jane Levy, I like her. Yeah, she is good. And She's Lucas Till was in the X-Men movies. 
He played uh, Cyclops's older brother. Oh, right. He sacrifices himself in that one slow-mo scene in uh, Apocalypse. Uh-huh. So I've he's, a, so he's in that. those. But um, this movie, this is not one I've seen, so I honestly can't talk a lot about it. But, man, everything about it looked and felt wrong. It totally is. I don't understand it. It it cost $125 million, How? which is a huge How? budget. A huge oh budget. God. And it only made... Now, to put that in perspective, Simbad, that animated movie, cost $60 million. Yes. So half of this movie's budget. This movie, also to further put it in perspective, had, I believe... Let's see. Had the same budget uh, as... Hold on. No. This had slightly less budget than King Arthur. Yeah. Which, at for at the very least, looked like a big blockbuster movie. This movie is like a direct-to-DVD movie with 120... I feel like some movie studio executive was hiding money in this movie. It's got to be. This has got to be like an Uva Bowl type of situation where he's just making movies to rake in the profits because of a loophole in the contract. Like... I can one. I cannot believe that this movie cost 125 million dollars to make, and even in all the description of it, it says the movie premise based purely on a pun. Right. That you you don't do that. <laughs> no, that's not how you make. That is not how you make a movie. Bad movie. Bad. I gotta see. Just out of curiosity, I want to see who um the I mean the guy who wrote this. What? Derek Connolly, who wrote the script, the screenplay for this, his other notable works are Safety Not Guaranteed. Oh, my goodness. Jurassic World and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And Skull or Kong Skull Island. Yeah. And he's the co-writer of Star Wars Episode Nine, but maybe not anymore. What this the is, fuck? This is a Colin Trevorrow dude. It How did a Colin Trevorrow dude get monster trucks? I have no idea. I'm looking yeah. at his picture. He looks 14. Does he? Look up, look up, go to IMDb and look up Derek Connolly and okay. look at his picture. He looks like he's 14 years old. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Oh, oh yeah, is, he does. This is weird. Yeah, you're right. That's weird. Is he 14? I don't. I mean, it, to write this movie, he must have to be. Weird. I don't know. It, well, and honestly, that kind of to segue a little bit off of Monster Trucks, because, again, I don't know much to talk about. It. I just everything about it is inexplicable to me. But did you ever see Mars Needs Moms? That was the Seth Green one that I, never I got did see to. that one. That was the last one on our list. So this is one where, like John Carter, like some others, you're going to have to tell me about this movie. I did not see this, did not really care about it. You know, I'm not a big Joan Cusack head. I like Shameless fine. <laughs> You're not? No, no. She's, she's, she's all right. Um, but this is not a movie. I remember it. I remember hearing about it, but I never saw it. Now, is it full-on animation? Yeah, yeah. The whole movie is motion capture. Oh, so it's like Polar Express or yes. whatever? Yes. And like it that. has a terrible uh, Uncanny Valley problem. Oh. And that, that is a problem. So, first off, brilliantly, this movie takes place about a boy. 
Okay. Whose mom gets captured by Martians. Okay, yeah. Because the title, Mars Needs Moms, to raise their Martian babies. Sure. So this child stows away and basically goes to Mars to try and rescue his mother. Okay. Now, now here's the here's the catch. This child is portrayed by child statured Seth Green. <laughs> you got me with that. But here's the weirdest part. Seth Green does the motion capture and another person does the voice. Wait, what? Yes. He's not the voice of the kid? He's just the motion capture performance? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Come yes. on, Seth Green. If Andy Serkis yeah. can do it, you can do it. Seth Green is the motion capture for Milo, and Seth Dusky is the voice of Milo. That is bizarre. <laughs> right? So that is really fucking weird. So what can you tell me about, like, when you watch this movie, what what did you take from it? Like, did you watch it and be like, this is terrible? Or did you watch it and it, kind of be like, well, this is weird, but... it That's what I... It's the second one. I didn't think the movie was terrible. It's weird. Like, it is a weird movie that always feels kind of half-baked. Okay. But felt like they spent a lot of money. It turns uh, out... Well, they, they did. The thing about it, and, and I may be unique on this. I don't think I am. But I am to the point where, you know what, guys? Let's not do motion capture until we figured it out. Sure. Well, like, until Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Well, okay. But even Planet of the Apes, it's not human motion capture. Like, if you're going to have humans in a movie, let's do human. It's in a movie. In a movie. Like, Polar Express, I didn't need to be motion capture. No. Um, The... Christmas Carol, I didn't need to be motion capture. No. Uh, Beowulf. Beowulf to be motion capture. I don't need Mars Needs Moms to be motion capture. Like, until we figured out human motion capture, let's just stop or doing it. Or until we just re f figure out how to make photorealistic people. Yeah. Then that Or video re realistic people. That's the problem. Something. We can make photorealistic people, but when they start moving and yeah. talking, that's when shit gets weird. Or just use them... In, like, three-second bursts, like but, your, your Princess Leia's and your Moff Tarkin's. I just really don't want to gloss over the fact that Seth Green was just used for motion capture of a child. Yeah, like, it would make Why? more sense. It would make more sense if it was flipped, if the other Seth was the motion capture and then Seth Green did the voice. Right. Because he has acting experience. Why? Why? I, I don't know. Why would you do that? Because you, you know... That Seth Green commanded a higher paycheck. Yeah. And so, is he bringing a level of physicality on an Andy Circus level that they're like, no one can motion capture this child better I than mean, Seth Green? I, I, you saw the movie. How did no, he do no, it? No, it, it looks like Polar Express. Like, I, <sighs> it, I don't get it. So, that's problem number one. Problem number two is... The cast is fucking weird as hell for a movie. Like, a big-budget movie that Disney is really trying to push. 
uh, Joan Cusack, not necessarily the biggest box office draw for like kids or parents. Not even the biggest Cusack. <laughs> right. Problem number one. Problem number two, Dan Fogler, who was yeah. no one at this yeah. point. Problem number three, Tom Everett Scott. Yeah. I mean, he was like, hey, he's like, yeah, he's still riding high off that thing you do money. <laughs> right. And, he's got he, a, oh, he's got that American werewolf in Paris uh, fucking re- savings. That nobody yeah. liked. Um, and then now but, he's on that I'm Sorry show, which feels more right for him. He's yeah. good in that. It felt just like a very weird, like the whole thing just doesn't make sense. Now, having said all of those names, everyone who doesn't know this movie is thinking like, oh man, we're talking about a movie that came out in like 2005. No, 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 motherfuckers. This is a 2011 movie. This came out like seven years ago. Yeah. This is not that old. That's the other thing that was like, I just... I like just don't get it. That's where the decisions between Seth Green, Tom Everett Scott, and Joan Cusack don't make any sense. Unless this movie was in production starting in 1999, this movie has no right to star those people and come out in 2011. Can I say this? Even um, it is the it has the worst financial loss for a Disney branded film ever. Doesn't surprise me. It Doesn't is surprise the, me at all. Um, and as uh, adjusted for inflation, it was still it's five on this list, but it says it was still the the fourth between the fifth and fourth largest box office disappointment in history. <laughs> history is a funny mistress. Um, and it said so. All the reviews say exactly what I said. It, they blamed the story, which is weird, about a mother being kidnapped from her child. Mm-hmm. The style of animation, which did not cross the uncanny valley threshold. Um, and it was released on the same week as Battle Los Angeles. Do you remember that movie? Oh, with, I do. With uh, Thomas Jane. Is it yeah. Thomas Jane? No, it's um, I don't think it's Thomas Jane. God, no, I get I get those um, two mixed up all the time. It's the dude. It's the dude. And thank you for smoking. Um, that was Two Face. In God, what's his um, name? Oh fuck. Why am I blanking on this? Um, he was, yeah, he was two faced in Aaron the, uh, Eckhart, Aaron Eckhart. It was him. He was, God, the they're like interchangeable for me too. Yeah. Aaron Eckhart and Thomas Jane are the same person. I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. Now I saw battle, battle Los Angeles. Also not very good by the way. Sure. Um, but I don't know. At least it made more money than Mars needs moms. I just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it, man. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it makes sense that these flopped. It sure. makes sense that these flopped hard. And it makes sense that we're talking about it on this podcast and probably no one else will talk about these movies ever again until like Collider or BuzzFeed does a let's take a a rewatch of John Carter. It's not as bad as everybody seems. Or uh, was that uh, there's a a good recurring article on birth movies death where they take a bad movie and they say something nice about it. I think that's the only time someone's going to talk about these movies outside of this episode. So let's let's do. I mean, we've kind of reached the end. Let's um let's recap the movies for everybody. All right. So yeah, we bounced around, but uh, according to uh, according to this list, number five biggest box office disaster is Mars Needs Moms with a hundred and fifty million dollar production and a loss of a hundred million dollars. The number four was Monster Trucks. With a production budget of $125 million, I still don't know where that money went, and a loss of $115 million. 
Uh, number three is John Carter, previously John Carter of Mars, with a production budget <coughs> of two hundred and sixty three. <laughs> Which is still dollars. insane. What uh, in the and it world? lost and it lost one hundred and twenty two million. Um, and then number two is Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas, with a $60 million production budget and losing more than what it was worth <laughs> times two at a loss of $125 million. Insane. And then finally our number one, which was King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, with a production budget of $175 million and a loss of $150 million. And that's got to feel really bad for Guy Ritchie because not only is this the number one on the list, not only is, is this his account for inflation – this movie came out in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> He's setting records now. Like current. Yeah. Current shit is happening. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's it, man. That's the end of this list. Now, as always, remember to check out our YouTube channel. We got some new videos coming soon, Jay. We, we've got them. We've got them coming up. I would say probably in the next week or two, we're going to have at least one or two new things up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Nice. So check us out. High five colon the podcast on youtube mm -hmm. do a search you'll find our our channel we currently have a video up talking about how we will soon have more videos and yep. giving you a nice rundown of the top five christmas movies it's in case be, you were it's, wondering it's, that. it's a lot of fun that that video is a lot of fun to put together um but also you know just stay with us on the core show wherever you listen to podcasts give us a high rating follow us on facebook follow us on twitter you can search us out high five colon the podcast on all the different uh, on all the different networks, we're actually really really active on Instagram. So follow us there, and there's a big community of people that we chat with there. So you know, stick how are we doing on? Do, are we still making letterbox lists? Are we still? Oh yeah, on oh yeah. Every time we have a movie based list, uh, there's a new letterbox list that comes out. So and and anytime we see movies, you and I are adding stuff in there. Sweet. So check us out there, and until next time, uh, don't fucking flop, you motherfuckers. We have reached the end of another High Five, the podcast episode. It's time to lock up the writer's room and rest comfortably, knowing we knocked out another great list of things you should be watching. If the guys didn't mention your favorites this week in their lists, you can harass them by emailing them at myfive at highfivethepodcast.com. That's M-Y-F-I-V-E at H-I-G-H-F-I-V-E. T-H-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. <sighs> Got that? Or connecting with them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash high five the podcast. On Twitter at high the number five the podcast. Instagram at high five the podcast.